The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox. Welcome to the program this Tuesday morning. U.S. markets come close to entering bear market territory after the Dow sinks 2,000 points as virus fears and an oil price war knock $5 trillion off stocks. Crude prices rebound from the worst day in almost three decades. This as Russia responds to Saudi's pricing salvo, saying it can lift output and cope with weak prices for up to 10 years. Well, also rebounding at the moment, and I put the caveat in at the moment, U.S. futures rallying as President Trump teases potential stimulus, including a payroll tax cut ahead of meetings with congressional Republicans and Wall Street executives. We're going to be meeting with uh, House Republicans, Mitch McConnell, everybody, and discussing a possible payroll tax uh, cut or relief, substantial relief, very substantial relief. It's a big... That's a big number. And apparently you can quarantine a whole country. Yes, Italy is trying to do this, the entire country, as Europe's fourth biggest economy becomes the largest outbreak outside of China. The Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conte, says it faces its darkest hour. I am about to sign a decree that we can sum up with the expression, I stay at home. Chinese inflation slows and factory prices fall as the virus continues to weigh on the economy, while fresh research points to a more than 50% plunge in monthly mobile phone sales. Remarkable day yesterday was, and it looks like we're going to see another very interesting day for markets as we continue to see prices chart the fear, the greed, and all the emotions in between that we see among market participants at the moment. But let's just chart for you how yesterday's uh, Dow performance compares with uh, previous periods that we've seen here. And it's worth just making the note. I did a little bit of digging around, and what we've uh, what we've seen here. Um, it should just remind us of uh, some of the previous uh, big days that we've had on the Dow. And looking back, uh, the low uh, for 2009 actually came in the uh, 6th of March to 9th of March period in 2009. And it's interesting, March flags as a, a fascinating month for shifts in markets. If you look back to the, um, the tech route, the 2000s, um, we actually had a peak on the NASDAQ on this day in 2000. So I just wanted to flag that up. But just to look at the Dow and the performance that we've seen and the big 2000 point loss that we had yesterday, if you break it down, there were several key stocks that were very responsible for that. Apple, Goldman Sachs, Caterpillar, Boeing, all worth about 100 points of that Dow move and all 
for good reasons, quite frankly, when you dig into the impact of coronavirus reductions on travel and shopping and spending as a result of that. So that's a look at what we've seen in the Dow over the last three days. And of course, that remarkable point at this point yesterday, where we were looking at the futures for the US markets that had already gone limit down. Let's flip the board and just show you what this means in terms of the 10-year note, this very important gauge of sentiment. And as you can see here, the yield has had something of a, a recovery. We're back up at this spot 67 level and we'll continue, obviously, to keep a close eye on this. But that really does tell you a story of how investors have expressed their fear and greed both through equity and fixed income. I never income. thought I'd hear that. Day. Good morning to you, Bob. I never thought I'd hear the day when Jeff Cutmore says, yes, and the US 10-year yield at 0.6771 has recovered. Anyone remember 3.2%? Nah, forget about that. Anyway, it was, what is that? Three-handled ones, they yeah, just absolutely. say. Right, so I've got small crumbs over here as well, and that is the fact that the oil price, having been absolutely bludgeoned, bludgeoned, has rallied. Look, we're up 8% and we're at da -da, 37 bucks, which to my mind is exactly half, and we've got an economist, he'll know this, uh, exactly half of the 74 bucks it was trading and it's pretty much year peak as well. So we have been bludgeoned like we've never seen. And I mean that, like we have never seen in such a short period of time uh, in the oil price. This one, Light Sweet Crude, had a 27 handle at its low yesterday. So I want to go straight to the top and I'm not talking about Paul Donovan from UBS. We'll come to him in a moment. I'm talking about Fatty Birol at the IEA. He's the executive director there. And I said to him, Fatty, you know our old, old adage, us market people have been in and around oil for all our careers. It's the cure for low prices is, yeah, you've all got it out there. It's not pantomime. It's low prices because normally the economic stimuli that is created by a low oil price just sends it right back up again. And because there's a lack of investment at the bottom, it means you get price spikes because you need uh, more demand and there is less supply coming on. He said, this time is different. He said, who's going to get on a plane? Who's going to be driving those extra cars if there's less economic activity? So he, the worry from the IEA is that, of course, the normal economic stabilizers created by low oil price will not act as a stimulus for the economy because people at the moment are still consumed by coronavirus. The only thing I would say on the contrary to that is despite all of that, yeah, despite all of that negativity, the estimates from the IEA yesterday for the whole of 2020, and I'll finish on this point, was only 90,000 barrels a day less consumption. Now, isn't that extraordinary? Despite everything that coronavirus has thrown in, and by the way, the OECD's got their handle on a little bit of data. They do represent the world's consumers, so they do know what they're talking about. Despite all of that, they're talking about a total 2020 decline of 90,000 barrels a day. That, compared to the 100 million barrels a day that are consumed, is a drop in the ocean. I want to take you to the Asian markets. And um, what you've seen, you mentioned about low prices and the cure being low prices. When it comes to stock market low prices, the cure in some ways can be stimulus uh, and the help that comes from central banks and possibly governments. And that's what's moving markets today. Press conference coming up later from President Trump. Uh, all eyes on a fiscal budget here in the UK and any other central bank action, in particular, the countdown to the next Fed meeting. And that's moved some of these markets where you're seeing green splash up right across the region. I do wonder whether these are now leading markets. Typically, we look to that Wall Street action to see what is going to transpire. But don't forget, China has been battling the infection much sooner than anyone else and to a much greater extent with restrictions. So all eyes on what the Shanghai Composite has been doing in recent weeks and that market bouncing. The other market in the region I think is interesting has been the Japanese stock market. You've seen that falling knife type of trade where it just keeps on dropping. Today, you've finally got a bounce and you keep
keep in mind that the currency trade it was slow to catch on, but eventually that Japanese yen caught the bid as a safe haven trade, and we saw it around the 102 level yesterday. 104 today, that makes a little bit of a difference. As you see, a slight reversal to some of those safe havens. It's lifted the uh, Japanese stock market and bouncing right across the region. You can see these markets. But uh, is this time different when we ask the question around central bank and government intervention? Because we don't know how long the virus could go on for. Typically in the past, when you've seen big interventions in the market, you can almost get past the event or the event as market participants see it. Can you get past it if there are still health issues playing out across various economies? And I think that's going to be quite challenging to try and watch for the next couple of weeks. Let me show you futures because all eyes still on Wall Street too, what that tone will be like on uh, the US market today. And you can see green early on coming back onto the charts. You'd have to anticipate there would be a snapback after that 2000 point move yesterday. And this is how we are perched early on. Thank you. CNBC has learned the White House is inviting executives from Wall Street to discuss the response to the coronavirus outbreak. The meeting was arranged amid Monday's sell-off with at least seven of the country's biggest banks invited. President Trump is expected to attend the meeting scheduled for Wednesday. Uh, at a press conference, the president sought to reassure the U.S. over his handling of the coronavirus, proposing a major economic relief package, including a possible payroll tax cut. We're going to be meeting with uh, House Republicans, Mitch McConnell, everybody, and discussing a possible payroll tax uh, cut or relief, substantial relief, very substantial relief. That's a big, that's a big number. That's not our country's fault. Uh, this was something that we were thrown into, and we're going to handle it, and we have been handling it very well. The big decision was early when we shut down our borders. We we're the first ones ever to do that. We've never done that in our country before. We would have a situation that would be uh, um, a lot more dire. Uh, President Trump, though, Paul Donovan's joined us, Global Chief Economist at UBS. Paul, good morning to you and welcome. Well, it's not exactly J.P. Morgan in 1929, but you do get the sense that finally the U.S. administration, not just the central bank, is starting to pull together ideas about how to address the fiscal response necessary to kind of abate the impact of coronavirus. When do the markets start to listen to all of this promised stimulus, or are they listening already? Well, I think if you if you look at the futures, I mean, the futures must be rallying on the back of the fact that the president has acknowledged that there is a problem. You know, the, he's not out playing golf. The complacency has has disappeared. There is a problem. So they're not rallying on the detail because there is no detail, um, and the very little evidence that we've got so far is frankly a little bit concerning for me. Payroll tax cut. Well, fine, but that's not going to help deal with the economic downswing. That's more about the bounce back stage, not what happens over the next three, four months. What we really need to be seeing is more sophisticated, more targeted measures dealing with, for example, small business corporate cash flow. That's a big problem. Tax holidays or tax delays um, to, to corporates having to pay tax. That's what's needed because that's where the real challenge comes when you get a sort of combined supply and demand shock coming together. Is it important, though, that there is a shock and awe type response? because um, communities respond to the psychological impact of a big message. So I absolutely agree with you. Yes, keep those um, credit lines intact, 
squeeze the banks, force them to keep funding these smaller businesses. But at some level, you have to send a big message to the community, don't you? I think a big message helps, yes. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with fear. I mean, it, the virus, economically speaking, doesn't matter. It's fear of the virus that matters. That's what we're trying to balance. But um, I think the challenge that we have here is, from the US in particular, you know, we had that rather inept rate cut, and there was nothing else. Yeah. That wasn't the sort of economic leadership that we, I think, would have got from the Yellen Fed or from the Bernanke Fed. And that that is a bit disappointing. Now we're hearing payroll tax cut. Well, this isn't 1950. The US labor market has changed. You've now got a lot more self-employment. Payroll tax cut doesn't help if you're self-employed. Contract workers, gig workers, doesn't help. Um, so I'm not saying don't do the payroll tax cut, but we need to see the detailed measures alongside the grandiose gestures. Paul, thank you very much. We're going to leave it there for the moment because we've got Deutsche Post, DHL numbers crossing for the full year. And of course, we're looking for lines on coronavirus. The latest one is uh, that it says it's resilient to deal with coronavirus. When it comes to its 2020 guidance, it says it now excludes potential effects of coronavirus. So it's Xing out the impact from the virus. Uh, what we've got for the fourth quarter revenue at 16.96 billion on a net profit of 858 million euros. The EBIT line, 1.26 billion euros. A dividend has been declared of 1.25 euros a share. And uh, I want to just dive straight into the conversation with Frank Apple, the CEO of Deutsche Post at DHL. Frank, uh, just give us a sense of how strong the headwinds are now for you as you battle coronavirus across various jurisdictions that you service, where the deliveries, of course, are going into key markets. Yeah, so although we, we don't know really what will come, um, you know, we see some, um, you know, strengthening signs. Um, you know, last week, 1st of March, for instance, we have seen that our express volumes around the world have been stronger than in the same week the year before. Uh, China is getting better every day. That is our impression. Um, so I think the world is not in such a get bad shape as people might think. How long do we need to think about coronavirus? Because you've just given us guidance for 2020, Xing out coronavirus impacts. How long do we need to think about the impact by quarters in your business when it comes to earnings? Um, so, you know, we will see now in March even more how, how things will develop. Um, you know, that's not the first crisis um, um, or I have seen in the last years. Uh, it's always uh, much more prominent at the short end. And I think we are managing that pretty meaningful, not only as a company, but also as a society. So I'm relatively optimistic that this will not last for too long. Frank, good morning to you. Look, societal change, structural change in how people work, uh, our guest hosts talking off camera uh, about people working more from home. Companies will think about this as well going forward as well. I, I don't want to kind of put too rosy a picture on terrible events that are going on around the world, but actually is Deutsche Post in a position where it can take advantage of new societal trends if indeed they do emerge from this crisis? So, you know, I, I think that's the wrong question. The more important question is what is our job to do? We have to protect our employees first. Uh, we have to serve our customers in the best way. And, of course, we have to recover our cost uh, as well. So if prices for air capacity are going up, you know, we have to push that further on to customers. But more important for the customers is that we ship the stuff because that's uh, the constraint at the moment. And I can assure you that our team has done a very good job in the last 
four weeks around the world to manage the coronavirus challenge. Uh, Frank, I wonder if you could just talk about some of the other trends and what impact they may have on you. Obviously, we've seen this big collapse in the energy price on the back of this spat between uh, Saudi and Russia. Um, Is that going to have any meaningful effect on your transportation costs? I noticed that you've moved up the range of free cash flow. That will be encouraging, obviously, to your shareholders. But is it possible that there will be more benefits coming down the pipe from cheaper energy? You know, that's a good question because we don't know how long these cheap energy prices will last. Of course, a lower fuel price is good for our network. But again, we push that further on uh, to our customers as well, reducing fuel surcharges and all this kind of stuff. Again, you know, I think, you know, we are well positioned. We had a record year last year. We know exactly what to do. We have a clear strategy and we will execute that. And we are not hoping that short-term effects will have a positive or negative impact on our business. I think that's a moment where the strong player should execute just a clear strategy, as we have done in previous times. So we are well positioned. And of course, you know, short-term, it might help. Uh, More important is that we see the first signs. You know, it's only one week in March, but that week was much better than we expected. And just to pick up, um, I'm always interested in the domestic German market here. We've obviously seen uh, some weakening data out of Germany. Could you give us a sense of, of, again, how you feel current trading is going for your domestic market and what the outlook is? You know, in our international businesses, uh, Global Forwarding Express, we said that we have seen some weakening in February, uh, which is now coming back, uh, apparently, uh, at least in one week. Uh, The other businesses have not been impacted so far so much. I think it's too early to say what that really means for our domestic businesses. So far, we have not seen a major impact. Frank, do you get a comment on supply chain? Because clearly there's been some shortages of product. I mean, toilet roll, for instance, when we were talking about, as we've tried to see more product get to market. Can you comment on the supply chain shortages we've seen as just-in-time delivery has clearly been what many of the supermarkets and logistic chains have worked on in recent times? Do things need to change on the back of the problems we've seen in terms of shortages? Um, you know, that's, you know, I think we can expect probably more in the B2C world because, you know, the China inflow has to start again now. And of course, the shipping vessels were not full. So what that takes four weeks lead time, and then we should see a recovery as well. But it's too early to say, as I said, we can only work from week to week. What we are doing is to try to serve the best. I think there's no reason to believe for consumers that shops will be completely empty. There's no reason to believe that. Frank, always a pleasure sir. Thank you very much indeed, even if you did ask the wrong question. But thank you very much indeed for that, Frank. Lovely to see you, sir. Um, Frank Arpa, the CEO of Deutsche Post DHL. Uh, Paul, I think it is the right question over the medium term, and I'm going to pursue it a little bit further with a man who knows a thing or two about societal changes. Um, Things are going to change. The way that people look at their supply chains, the way that people look at their employees, the way they look at their crisis management or, or mitigation of current concerns, things are going to change, aren't they, in society? Well, they were already changing. Um, so I think there are, there are three long-term trends which are accelerated by the crisis. So the first is 
globalization is reversing. That's been underway for some time. I remember time. someone about five years ago came on this channel and said, well, I'm worried about protectionism. He was wrong no. for about four years. No, I was right. Um, <laughs> I, you've just got to wait for me to be right. <laughs> okay, That's right, the thing. So we're, we're seeing localization come in. This is technology protectionism, but it's mainly about technology and, and efficiency. But that's accelerated by this process. Then you get um, the flexible working, working from home, again, accelerated by this process. When you get a big external shock which forces people to work from home, once they've started, they don't stop doing it. Um, and online retail, you know, the digitization of the economy, that again is another trend. So all of these are happening. I think the interesting thing is, whilst we're accelerating these trends, we may, for example, see um, a pickup in inventory levels in the recovery phase, because whilst localization is a long-term trend, it's still going to take a couple of years. So you may hold more inventory in the near and term. And there is no truth in the rumor, I hasten to add, that um, Jeff's man cave has been taken over by the CNBC set builders? Not yet. Yeah. Not as far as I heard they're putting in a little camera in there. Is that, is that right? In your man cave. Oh, OK. Well, I'll look forward to that. Live from somewhere in the middle of I England. might have to rearrange some of the wall art, but there you go. <laughs> Coming up on the programme, a country in quarantine. Italy expands its strict <laughs> lockdown measures to the entire country. We will cross live to Milan for the latest next. And uh, just a reminder, if you don't have enough time to watch us on screen but want more on the big moves in markets and views on how to navigate them, we've got our own podcast. It's available at all the usual places. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The number of global deaths from coronavirus has risen to more than 3,800, while cases of the infection has increased to above 110,000. That's according to data from the World Health Organization. Albania and Panama have reported their first cases of the virus. Uh, Italy has extended its emergency quarantine measures to the entire country. Uh, ramping up its drastic plan to battle the coronavirus. It's the first country to be completely locked down due to the outbreak. The number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in Italy continues to rise, topping over 9,460 people have reportedly died. Italy is now the second most affected country in the world after China. Claudia, um, it's very difficult to know how a countrywide quarantine would work, but um, you're going to give us some details. Well, we don't know how it's going to work either, to be honest, Steve. I mean, this is a quarantine in which people that need to be moving around because of work or because of health reasons are allowed to move around. You have to have a, a self-decoration, which I have right here in my hand. 
uh, that, uh, you know, uh, explains why it is that you are moving around. Of course, the point is that they are trying to avoid uh, a further spread of the virus. The Lombardy region is the one that in terms of health care has uh, the uh, largest number of uh, hospitals and uh, uh, intensive care units compared to other regions, especially in the southern part of Italy. So the reason why this has been extended from 16 million people to 60 million is to try and get that message across. We are trying to avoid uh, a situation that can really put the healthcare system uh, in, uh, in, in, in a situation in which it cannot function. So uh, at this point, the initial invitation uh, to be more careful, to keep a meter distance, uh, to avoid going to places that were crowded and closing, uh, you know, museums and gyms wasn't enough. So at this point, the request is stay home. This is also uh, urging the young people uh, to stay home. Those were the groups uh, uh, that uh, were continuing to form, even though this warning had been put out, considering uh, that they were the least hit at that point. But now uh, what has happened, according to these numbers, you mentioned over 9,000 or the total contagions here in Italy, 463 deaths, uh, 724 recoveries. But there is a growing number of younger people uh, that are now contracting and getting into a, a difficult situation needing medical care. Uh, so they are the ones who could spread this very contagious disease to the elderly uh, people here in Italy that make up almost 25% of the Italian population. So uh, those are the people that we are trying uh, mostly uh, to keep safe. But, uh, you know, how this is going to be carried out is still not clear. Coming here today to the Duomo that you can see behind me, well, of course, it is empty. The few people that I see walking around that are obviously moving uh, for uh, legitimate reasons are mostly wearing masks. Uh, and uh, the idea is uh, that the police that I see, I see uh, army trucks here at the Duomo parked, uh, uh, and they're ready to intervene. They're ready to ask questions. There will be fines if people are not justified to be walking around. And uh, uh, there is a fine of over 200 euros as well as imprisonment for up to three months uh, if you are caught, uh, you know, walking around when you're not supposed to. So we will know more in the next days of how this quarantine is going to go about. The concern is that this is until the 3rd of April. So it's a very long period of time. Business, though, is open. But clearly, I'll see later when stores open up here in Piazza del Duomo, how can people go into the stores if they're not allowed to be there unless they're working there? So that is a big question. Uh, and in the next days, we will know more about how this will work. For the time being, the markets have been hit. The economy is going to be hit. Everyone is scrambling to try and understand exactly what kind of impact this will have. It is clear at this point, this is not uh, a quick uh, um, uh, a quick fix. This will take time and the economy will definitely uh, suffer and this will impact 2020 uh, very significantly here in Italy. Back to you, Steve. Claudia, let me pick up. Uh, thanks so much. We will see you a little bit later on. Italian bond yield soared following the quarantine announcement. The two-year rose as much as 56 basis points to the highest level since June 2019. The spread between the Italian and German 10-year yields spiked above 200 basis points, also the highest level since the summer of 2019. This is when yields fell to record lows. Paul Donovan is with us, Global Chief Economist at UBS. The market, it seems, is being very discriminating about where it sees strong and weak hands at this point. The throw forward to uh, the Fed meeting again suggests that we'll get rate cuts. Is that your view of what will unfold over coming weeks? 
So I think we will get rate cuts because the Fed hasn't done anything to dissuade the market from expecting rate cuts. And really, you know, the market has got this so much in its sights that the Fed can't afford to disappoint. My issue with the Fed is I think that they, they need to do more than rate cuts. There needs to be this more targeted approach, which is what you're seeing from, from Europe. You know, the sort of rate cut good doesn't actually really work here. Um, and again, you know, a rate cut will benefit the, the, the bounce back phase. When we get to the bounce back phase, the rate cut will be great for that. But what we really need is something which helps right now. And rate cuts don't do that quite so much. So more targeted measures alongside the rate cuts is what I hope to see. Um, the rate cut, I think, is, is a done deal, though. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.